Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I was reading a study the other day. It's actually a systematic review and meta-analysis which demonstrated oh, that really in depth. towels are the leading cause of dry skin. No way. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Maddie, we're back. It's been some time. It has been some time. We've become really lazy. Well, I wouldn't say we're lazy. I'd say we're busy. Don't say lazy, because then people are going to think that we've got nothing better to do. We're trying to... (laughs) Do a lot. Do too many things. We're trying to teach too many people. We're trying to do too much research. We like helping students. I think the radio has occupied a lot of our time, and so it's difficult to get time for the podcast. We have been on ABC Radio every Tuesday evening. But we are moving out of the teaching part of the year, so hopefully we'll move on to weekly podcasts, and we're trying to to get organized with some clinicians, so hopefully the next... Get a couple lined up. Yeah, the next um, amount of podcasts will be with... More Actual experts. With more clinical <laughs> focus. People so that t- know what they're talking about. So today, which is essentially going to cover the skin, is really just an overview from an A&P point of view. We're not going to go into of the, the clinical. Yeah. Of the integument. The in- <laughs> oh, God. The integument. So we'll talk about the integumentary system, but let's do some housekeeping. Firstly, we'd like to say hi to hi. Paula. Oh, so we've got an email from Paula. We love receiving emails. Paula is a first-year physiotherapy student. Thank you, Paula, for your very kind email. And thank you for listening to the podcast. It came through this this morning, is that right? This morning. So we just thought, why not say thank you yes. and possibly encourage others to 
Yeah, we do. Write in and say hi and also maybe suggest topics or... We get a couple of emails a week from people thanking us, um, suggesting certain topics. And so please send your emails through. Tell us how fantastic we are. Um, tell us that you know you want to hear more of me, less of Matt, understandable. And um, we'll give you a shout out as well. More than happy to give you a shout out. Much, can we do every single one? Well, if they stand out. Of course. See. Yeah, of course so we can do every single one. Extra nice. I will shout out every single person that emails me from now on. <laughs> oh, wow. How's that? How's that for a big call? That's a big commitment. So right. if you want to send us an email, GU Biosciences, all one word, all lowercase. So G-U-B-I-O-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S at gmail.com. God, I hope I spelled that right. Send us an email. .com.au? Um, yeah, we'll say .com.au. It'll, it'll come to the same email anyway, okay. so that's fine. Let's begin with the integumentary, Matthew. What does this mean? What does this word mean, Michael? I don't know. What does the integument mean? Probably something like covering. Yeah, that sounds about right. Covering. And what's it composed of? You tell me. You're the expert. Well, the integumentary is basically our hair, skin, and nails. So what we're going to do is give a brief overview of hair, skin, and nails. We're going to talk about the basic functions. We're going to break skin up into its three predominant layers being the epidermis, the dermis, and hypodermis. But we won't actually talk about the hypodermis because it's not technically skin. We will talk about some of the accessory organs, which includes hair and nails and some of the glands. And um, we might go off on a couple of tangents, as usual. As That's normal. Okay, integument mm-hmm. is Latin. I-N means on. Te- so, wait, so in means on. Yeah, I-N. <laughs> What's on mean? Is on, like on does, top of. Does on mean in? On top of, like okay. upon, in. maybe not upon, because that would be epi, and tegmen, and you have that in your brainstem yeah. as well. Um, that it means roof. Okay, so, so on, on roof. And right. so, I guess that means on your... It sounds a bit redundant. Covering. Okay. So, the integument means on roof. So, like you said, covering. Because <laughs> that's a pretty hopeless descriptor, I think. Okay, well, words. I'll write in to... Um, Latin.com and <laughs> let them know. The Latin organization. All right. Let's begin with integumentary functions. So, can you tell us what some functions of the integumentary system are? Well, there's potentially up to eight that right. I've found or yeah. sourced um, in, in no order. So, one is a barrier. And so, that's essentially keeping things out and preventing, you know, your body falling out. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so, keeping things out and keeping things in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So, that can be things like pathogens, stopping pathogens to get in and stopping um, water loss or excessive, um, well, what else could come out? Blood, things like <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. What else would it Predominantly do? water loss, I would, I would think. And in addition to pathogens coming in, also probably stop chemicals um, coming in, probably reducing excessive mechanical force. But sometimes it can, sometimes it can be, um, you can absorb quite a lot, quite a host of things mm. chemically, right? Through your skin. That's true. So it's difficult to know. I don't, I don't anywhere near have that, uh, that knowledge set to know what kind of chemicals could be absorbed in the skin and even like what you may excrete out of your skin. So I don't even want to attempt that. Wow. So it's taken nearly 40 episodes for you to finally tell us that you, you don't have the knowledge base to explain something. That's, I'm happy to admit that. Wow. Um, there's over 3,000 skin disorders. So really? This, this is why it's a sub 
specialty. What are they? <laughs> well, I think we'll get a dermatologist on, so yeah, no, we can go through those 3,000. That'll be a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be a one for everyone loves listening to seven hour long episodes. Um, so, so, function one, one, function function one barrier. is barrier. Function two, it's part of the immune system. So, it would have, uh, well, it's got a, a specialized immune cell in it, which we call the, the Langerhand. Yeah. Um, not the one in your pancreas. No. Um, They're islets. Of Langerhand. Yeah. So presumably Paul, Paul Langerhand or Robert named both of them. Yeah, maybe that's my guess. Are they spelled the same? Langerhands. So. Yeah, they are spelled the so same. So it's a, a type of. So this particular cell comes from um, the bone marrow, so it migrates in oh. at some point. But it will notify if there's a breach and kind of probably do a similar thing to histamine in the mucosa. So the mast release cell. a bunch of chemicals and tell promote tell the bottom there's body there's some problems going on. So are you saying that the the barrier also being sort of part of the immune system is the first line of defense. And then like yeah, the hands okay. would be it would is it, be, is it so adaptive immunity uh, or is this I more would imagine it would be I'd say it's still non specific. Okay. I think adaptive only comes in with the T cells. Sure. Um, so it would be a higher it's probably a physiological uh, part of the immune system uh, rather than the barrier just being an innate um, a- an anatomical barrier yeah. like a brick wall um, these little immune cells that are sitting there just waiting for a breach or some kind of thing to happen and then they'll release a chemical signal and then a whole lot of um, other immune cells come in and do their job yeah and you know you probably get inflammation and everything arises from that okay um, so that's two down number three is regulation of temperature Right. So this would be a combination of being in a cold environment versus too hot. Makes I, sense. And I'm not really sure. Well, we can get to that. So I'll just leave it at regulating temperature at this point. Well, could we could we potentially say that this is obviously due to the blood vessels that are in the dermis and the diameter of those blood vessels, and so because the dermis is part of the skin, and we can lose a good amount of heat fire our skin if we dilate the blood vessels in our dermis yeah. or we can maintain that heat by constricting the blood vessels in our dermis this is the primary way that we can control body temperature via the skin yeah and i think when you compare us to other animals the bigger animal the easier it is t- for them to control their um, body temperature so, so that means it's easier for you to control your body temperature compared to me because i'm bigger yeah well it's obviously v- um Size, volume to what? Volume to surface area ratio. True. And so, like an elephant. So, wouldn't it be more difficult then? No, because it, like an elephant's got a bigger mass mm. to its what its skin's exposed to the outside world, right? Sure. Compare it to say a rat, ah. which has got less body but more skin. Gotcha. So it's more likely to lose. So that's you know why small animals are more likely to have say fur than say an elephant. I've never thought about that. Mm. That's a really good point. Of course, you're thinking about animals all the time. Because I'm a farmer. Because you're a farmer. You've got your goats. Elephant. Your um, elephant. Okay, so regula- regulation of temperature is one. Um, so I guess you could say um, that the blood vessel... Um, yeah, I don't... I, I, really I think what I said was... Adequate. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like you, obviously you've got ac- accessory parts like your hair. Um, we don't have a great deal of body hair um, relative to, say, other animals. Yeah. Uh, I guess... The p- <laughs> And you're you're Italian, so I don't even I don't know what your what point you're trying to make here. <laughs> well, maybe people from other parts of the world might have more body hair than I would. Let's say. Uh, okay, so I like how you automatically brought one up, <laughs> the one the one that I tend to uh, 
be categorized within, in your eyes at least. Okay. Uh, all right. This is getting, no, yeah, this made is you feel a bit uncomfortable there. This is becoming there. awkward. Um, have I not offended anyone? Now. I can't grow a beard, Matthew. So how can you say that simply due to my heritage that I have a, an abundance of facial hair? I, sure, I, my I sister has more facial hair than me, I didn't granted. Say, I, didn't, I didn't say facial hair. I just meant body hair. So oh, all I've, over. I've seen you, um, you your arm. Back. I'm seeing your back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Now, or maybe, yeah, you, maybe your head. You, we know that your head is a potential um, location of loss of temperature, right? Yeah. And, you know, this is what you put beanies on and so forth in, in winter. And so most people would have, I'd say the majority of people would have some kind of hair on their head. And so that would potentially prevent the loss of some temperature. Well, 80% of all men, by the time they hit 80, have lost their hair. 80, 80. 80, and I think 80, 80 for male pattern baldness. Okay. Should we well, talk you, about that you now just keep or later on? Me down, we'll don't talk you? about that now. We'll keep going. On. Okay. Uh, we're up to four. Um, protection of UV. So this is a radiation from the sun. Protection of UV or protection from UV? Both, simultaneously. <laughs> um, so essentially we've got radiation from the sun. Yeah. And In the uh, form of? Uh, UVA, B, and C. Oh, okay. So ultraviolet. Gotcha. So that's a spectrum at the blue end, is that right? What's it sit between? I don't know. I'm, I'm testing your, your physics here. Can't what, do you, remember. what do you reckon? 700s? Nanometers? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, so three main uh, wavelengths of UV light come in, UVA, B and C. Um, C is mostly taken up in the atmosphere and B and A is most likely to hit your skin. I think B is more likely to go deeper than A. And um, therefore, this radiation can cause problems to the cells um, that are replicating. So ultraviolet light, like you said, is on the blue end. So if you look at visible light, we can see from the red end all the way to the blue end. Yep. And that's the Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Okay. And so at the end of violet... Which is ultraviolet. Jump, yes. You then jump into ultraviolet, and this wavelength is a smaller wavelength. And then after ultraviolet, it goes into X-ray and then gamma ray. Mm. And then as you start to move, so ultraviolet starts to damage us, X-rays really start to damage us, gamma rays really start to damage us. And a lot of those will play around with the, because they're absorbed by the DNA, right? So Exactly. Sit in for half a day in a CT scanner. Not great. Um, it's not great for your DNA in your cells. One CT scan is equivalent to 100 x-rays. Okay, which is equivalent to how many uh, flights on a I think airplane? seven. From so memory, I think seven flights is equivalent to an x-ray. Like seven hours? No, I think it's seven flights, whatever that may mean. Well, it'd be duration of 30,000 feet. Sure. So people who live in, say, Colorado are exposed to more radiation. than People who have granite bench tops at home are exposed to more radiation because there's, there's radiation within granite bench. What about bananas too, right? Yeah, bananas have radiation. Anyway, I don't know how we get onto this. <laughs> yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, so UV well, there's light... There's our tangent for today. One of many. So UV is absorbed A and B. B will go deeper in. And the problem here is... Which one? B. Okay. Uh, this can be absorbed in the cells and it's particularly problematic, I believe, when the cells are replicating because they've exposed their mm. DNA mm. and this can then induce mutations. And, and it so passes on to its daughter cell. So we'd want to ensure that um, there's some kind of protection from this and this is 
what some of the skin does. Mm. Mine, mine is not very effective. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so there is something that we can produce. I mean, hair can help in that space, but we don't have hair all over our body. Um, oh, but some people do, don't they, Matthew? <laughs> um, but we <laughs> we produce uh, a chemical called melanin, which right. can overcome this. Again, I'm not we'll very good at this. That. We'll talk about that later. Um, five, the sense of touch. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so this is us experiencing the outside world and knowing what's happening. And responding accordingly. So mechanical touch, mm-hmm. as well as temperature, I guess you could say. Um, six, it produces a special vitamin for you. Do you know what that vitamin might be? It could be... Everyone's fat, favorite fat vitamin. soluble vitamin. Fat soluble. So I know the fat soluble vitamins are DECA, D E K and A. I'm just going to start at the first one. And say, is it vitamin D? It is vitamin D. Yeah. So vitamin. So this. You're saying that this the skin produces vitamin D, or the skin. Oh, it gets into a chemical reaction with cholesterol, and it it changes the. So UV light from the sun reacts with cholesterol in the skin. Don't ask me the chemical it turns produces into. Produces a precursor of vitamin D. Right, which then goes to your kidney. Right. Uh, which I'm not sure how, I can't remember at the top of my head, if it has another interaction with the liver, but the kidney essentially will activate it to a, an active form of vitamin D, which is important then Kelsey, for... Kelsey, it goes from Kelsey... F- goes from Kelsey Fairdial, okay. right, to Kelsey Triol, and then... So three... Yes. Um, and then that's an active form of vitamin D and then it can play around with the handling of calcium, which will be then important for bones. And so obviously, more so with children, if they have problems with absorption of vitamin D, so parts yep. of the world that had low vitamin D from the sun. Yep, so um, people, countries that are in have, maybe six months of darkness. Yeah, they'd have problems with um, the density of their bones. So they have more pliable bones, which can cause problems with... Mm. Um, rickets and I think we spoke about vitamin D and bones in one of the previous kidneys. episodes pulling out the inorganic substances the, the matter the inorganic substances such as calcium mm. and phosphate yep. uh, makes the bones bendy yep. hence rickets rickets which you tend to tease me for having you it's just your walking gait is bowed <laughs> I do have a bowed gait we're not really describing ourselves very well at the moment <laughs> you as this orange monster and Myself as a bow-legged hairball. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. And then um, number seven, you could argue for aesthetics, so appearance. Okay. Yes. Uh, if you didn't have skin, you wouldn't probably look as good. It's <laughs> true. Um, that's about it. That's the seven. Sometimes they put wound healing in there as well. You said water lust, didn't you? That was part yeah, of that barrier. Yeah, that's kind of barrier, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's good. I think that covers everything, right, in regards to function. So now, should we start talking about um, the integumentary system, breaking it up into its individual parts? Yeah, I think so. so. All right, integumentary system is the largest organ of the body, mm-hmm. about two square meters. So if I were to skin you right now, to turn you into a rug for my lounge room, you'd be about two square meter rug on the floor. Um, it It's between eight to 14% of your body weight. Well, why are you talking about the rug? Yeah. Um, if you, <laughs> yeah. I just thought I'd add this because you're going to make a rug out of me. Yeah. Um, if you were to just um, pull my skin off and then dry it out, that would co- uh, that would form something called green hide. Right. Okay. And if um, you were to tan it, yeah, it would become leather. I don't and think, that's I don't think you could tan. No. Um, and that's and that's essentially the dermis, which you're going to talk about. How do you tan? How do you tan skin? Do you know? Is it a chemical process? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's what's going to give you a leather. 
Okay, go on. So you can so so you could turn any skin into leather. Potentially, right? Never tried. No. Look, I'm not. I'm not practical in that sense. Practical enough to tan anything. All right. So it weighs around about between eight to fourteen percent of your body weight. Okay. So what's, what's that? The, what's the average body size? Seventy kilos. Seventy kilos. So about so eight to ten kilos. Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, and you think one skin next biggest organ from that's probably the liver at about four kilos. So. Quite a significant portion of your body is your skin. And it's made up of a number of different layers. Now, the most external layer, the one that's exposed to the environment, is called the epidermis. And the epidermis basically um, is found... You look at me, you're looking at my epidermis. Okay. Right? So, the, the three layers of the integument... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we have to pronounce it like that. Integumentary. All right. Yep. So, the three layers of the integumentary is epidermis. Yes. Dermis. Yes. Hypodermis. Yeah, but the hypodermis isn't recognized as part of the integumentary. Isn't it? No, it's just connective tissue. Okay, so some just for some listeners, sometimes they will include that. Yeah. Which were they I think they call it subcutus? Subcutaneous. Or the subcutus, I think they sometimes refer it to it. Really? Which is hi- hypodermis, which yeah. is essentially the fascia and the fat that's just below the dermis. Below the dermis, which will then overlay, say, muscles and so forth. Yeah. Um so that's the three layers. So let's now go into one. Start with the first one. Okay. So let's start with the epidermis. Okay, so epi upon dermis is the dermal layer. So this is the layer upon the dermal layer, unsurprisingly. This is made up of predominantly four layers, but depending on the part of your body, it may be made up of five layers. So firstly, if we talk about these layers, um, we'll, we'll describe them starting at the bottom layer or the layer closest to the dermis and move up to the most external layer uh, because it's that's basically how these layers form. But I want to tell you how to remember them for an exam, for example. Uh, the, the five layers... Which is the other way around then. Which is the other way around. So starting from most superficial and go deep. Come, let's get sunburnt. So C-L-G-S-B. That's right. Come. Come. Let's, Let's get, get sun, sun burnt. burnt. So this is a mnemonic, not, this a, is a, mnemonic. not a suggestion. Okay, now each of these layers is a term that we use for layer, which is strata or stratum, strata yeah. for plural. So you can say stratum, the first layer, starts with C, corneum. Second layer, stratum, starts with L, lucidum. Third layer, stratum, starts with G, granulosum, no, spinosum, no, gran- Gr- uh, granulosum, sorry. Let's get the next layer. Stratum spinosum, sun, and then the next layer, stratum basal, or if you're telling, tell him like I am, basale, right? Because <laughs> it's B A S A L E. That's excellent. All right, so come, let's get so, some. So now, so now you're Italian. Now I'm Italian, for all intents and purposes. Let's start at the basal layer. All right, so. So we're going backwards now. We are going backwards <laughs> now. The basal layer is basically. So basal just means base. Base, and you know what. All of these cell layers are made up of a certain type of cell called keratinocytes. So, cyte meaning cell, and keratin is the fibrous protein that it produces. And this protein makes the epidermis strong, and it makes it waterproof. Mm-hmm. Okay, So, all these cells are predominantly keratinocytes. So, that's the first yeah. thing you need to think of. We should also say, just quickly... Because the epidermis is a cellular layer, mm. um, it's referred also as an epithelial tissue. Yes. Okay. And in 
the way that this is classified, the epidermis, they'll generally call it um, stratified squamous. Stratified mm-hmm. mean many layers. Squ- squamous mean flat. But they'll, Squished. But they'll also chuck at the front of the word keratinized. So keratinized stratified squamous. Yes. Opposed to maybe your esophagus. Well, that's a bad example. Let's say your mouth, which can be non-keratinized. Correct. Which but is still stratified squamous. Which is still... That's right. Yes. So the reason why it's stratified is because it's likely to be um, exposed to abrasion. Correct. So it's there for protection. And protection. So these keratinocytes, they, they begin in the basal layer and they actually change their morphology as they move up towards the, corne- uh, the corneum layer, right? And so this process of keratinocytes changing from basal to corneum is called cornification. And this is a term that I often use for most of the jokes that you also make. Corny. Well. well, that's the that's the the root word for the corneum as well. So in the base in, in that layer, stratum corneum. Yeah. Hence yeah. it being called cornification because its ultimate goal is to be part of the Horn. stratum corneum. Horn. And like your cornea in your eye. Yes. Same same word. All right. So the stratum basal are partly differentiated stem cells, and they're Basically, their profile is that they can proliferate and regenerate. They've got this capacity to do so because they are partly differentiated stem cells. Now, they are basically uh, columnar cells resting on the dermal-epidermal junction. Which is the basement membrane. Which which is is the basement membrane. Which is a very important communicating point between the two. Yes. And these keratinocytes produce a precursor of keratin which um, is a filament. And as it produces this keratin, it's not matured yet, these cells start to change their shape a little bit. Now, the cells are attached to one another through something called desmosomes. And these are like little welding points that holds one cell to another and also holds these cells to the basement membrane. And as these stratum basal cells that are starting to produce this keratin precursor, they start to move up towards a more superficial layer, to the next layer called the spinosum. Okay. Now, the spinosum, what does spinosum mean? Spine. Spiny, that's right. And that's because if you look at the spinosum layer under the microscope, they look spiny. And the reason why is because when you take these cells, stain them, dehydrate them, look at them under a microscope, the desmosomes, which are sticking the cells together, Mm. are holding them, but they're shrinking a little bit because they're dehydrated and they look very spiny. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, now, these stratum basal uh, cells still keratinocytes held together by these desmosomes and they start to mature this keratin a little bit more. Is that making sense? And at this point, the cells are still alive, right? Absolutely still alive. So they're still a viable cell at this point. Yes. And so this, um, just to chuck in a clinical point here, mm. the basal cell, as you said, is a stem cell. Mm. So it will... Um, mitotically copy itself so one will kind of stay at the basement while its daughter one daughter stays and one daughter goes up yeah so the one daughter goes up into the spinosum layer and i guess this is a pool of also kind of alive cells which could be considered the squamous cell pool yes and so these are two areas of potential mutation and cancer yeah anytime you've got a mitotically active cell you've got the potential for cancer, right? And so the, mo- the, mi- the most mitotically active cell in these layers of the epidermis is going to be the stratum basal. Okay. 
Okay, so and you can get the, so that this will uh, develop a cancer called a BCC, a basal cell carcinoma. Yeah. So the basal is referring to the basal cells. Okay. So that the base stem cell. Yeah. And then the squamous cell, which is the next pull up in the spinosal layer, I assume, maybe also in the granulosa. I'm not haven't got that clinical knowledge. Yeah. But that would be a, a squamous cell carcinoma, which SCC. Out of those two, the SCC is a, a bit more invasive than the BCC, and I think both of them are based on um, just complete quantity of sun exposure. Gotcha. And then obviously for people like myself who's got fair skin, um, yeah. higher likelihood. True. Um, now, as these spinosal cells, like I said, they're starting to mature this keratin, the keratin then starts to form aggregates in the middle of these cells. And these aggregates start to look like granules. And now these cells, which are starting to, again, move, move towards up. the top are called stratum granulosum because of these granules that you can see. Now, this type of keratin now is called keratohyalin. And this keratohyalin in these former granules... Now, there's other things in these granules as well. Now, it's called filagrin. Have you heard of filagrin before? So, filagrin's also in these granules, and they end up being the glue that holds the keratin together in the stratum corneum when the cells are ultimately dead. So in the granulosum, the cells are still classified as living, but they're starting to die off now. And that means that the, um, the, all the organelles within the cells and the nucleus of the cell aren't being used. They're starting to be um, destroyed, broken down, and the cytoplasm tends to fill up with this keratohyalin and also with these uh, precursor to glue, filagrin, so that when it moves up to the next layer... The cells are dead, and okay. all they are are basically bundles filled with keratin. And because they're dead, there's not much holding them together. Those desmosomes are basically disappeared, and so you have to have this glue. So now we've moved up to the stratum corneum. Oh, now, so we're in the corneum now? We are now in the corneum. So you could say the granular layer is kind of the transition point between live and dead? I would say so, okay. absolutely. And there's between, what I think it's between uh, 10 to 20, 30, 40-odd layers of the corneum layer um, of stratified squamous keratinized like you said yeah. epithelia held together with this filagrin type glue and in between these cells what you're going to find is that intercellular spaces are composed of hydrophobic lipids um, ceramides cholesterol fatty acids so a bunch of fats basically okay. and what these fats do sitting between the corneal cells is that they prevent water loss but they also prevent Again, things coming in. So okay. here's here's that barrier. And is that secreted from um, below, or is it is it, is it secreted into it through like sebaceous glands and stuff? That's a good question. I'm quite sure that it's uh, coming from it's diffusing from the blood below. Okay. Yeah. Or from the sebaceous. Well, the sebaceous glands obviously oil glands, so they're going to contribute to that. Right. So to what degree they contribute. Um, the ceramide, I would assume, would be coming from those glands. But as far as the fatty acids and cholesterol, I'm not too sure. Okay. So, how long do you think it takes for this whole epidermal differentiation process from basal cell to cornification at the top? How long do you think this whole process takes? A month. So, 28-odd days. Yeah. Yeah. So, right now, I would say that took a couple of minutes to explain. We've probably, both you and I, individually have probably shed about 200,000 corneal cells just in that amount of time. Onto that chair. 
onto the chair I'm sitting on and to the desk that you're leaning on. So, <laughs> 40,000 corneal cells tend to be shed every minute. And when you say corneal, you mean your skin, not your eyeball. <laughs> Correct. And that's called sloughing. Very nice. It's a good term. I love that term. Isn't that the same for period? Yeah, menstruation, that's also a sloughing event. Okay. It's basically when, th- when s- uh, cell layers start to uh, fall away. That's sloughing. Okay. Um, other things just in this space. Mm, what about the cells within the within the epidermis? You want to s- introduce that? Well, you've done the majority, which is the keratinocytes. We t- yep. spoke about Langerhans. We've also spoke about melanocytes. Well, with the Langerhans, quickly, you said they are immune cells, and that's that's um, true. But they're quite important when it comes to, like you said, responding to foreign agents, but also um, allografts. So, allograft rejection. So, an allograft is when one person receives tissue from another person who are not genetically similar. Um, And so, these cells tend to play a role in rejection there. Um, And also play a role in dermatitis, too, in the whole process of dermatitis. Which would make sense. And they're found in the spinosum layer, these Langerhans cells. Okay. Yeah. And the Merkel cells are in the basal layer. Right at the base. And they're uh, like a mechanico... Sensing cell. Yeah, and they're most commonly found in the soles of the feet, the hands, oh, the nail beds. One thing we did need to mention when you spoke about the corneum, mm. um, that probably out of the layer of the skin can differ throughout the body. So when you go to the soles of your feet and maybe your palms of your hand, there's a thicker amount of corneum which is, gives you a thicker skin. Yeah, and I so didn't talk about the lucidum, did I? And so that, and that gives you the ability to have, um, you know calluses and so forth. Gotcha. Okay. Which so is a body's reaction to um, excessive abrasion and yeah. friction. So the stratum lucidum, I didn't talk about stratum lucidum. So I went I went basal, um, spinosum, granulosum, then corneum. And I forgot the lucidum in between. That's okay. between the corneum and granulosum. Now the lucidum is only found in very specific areas such as the s- palms of the hands and the soles of the feet. So those four layers that I stated are the most common and the lucidum is fifth and lucidum sounds like lucid meaning clear-minded or clear and it's a very transparent clear layer. Okay. All right, so that's all the layers and we, we've also got melanocytes in there which we said is for... Yeah, uh, so can we talk a bit more about melanocytes okay. and talk about their role in, in tanning and skin colour and so forth? Okay. So melanocytes, you can... So these are basically factories that produce melanin and melanin is a pigment which gives us our skin colour. Now, our skin colour can also be obtained from two other... Um, well, one other pigment and another contributing factor. What's the other pigment? What's well, keratin? So keratin. It's not keratin. It's keratin. 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 Well, keratin is. Um, it's a the protein is yellowing, so that will give you the, a yellow appearance of skin. And so the thicker the the keratin or the corneal layer, the more yellow. So that's why you know your calluses are more yellow appearance. Sure. But you've okay. also got ca- keratin. Keratin, which is a vitamin. Is that right? A. Is it Aaron? So keratin is. But that, that might be just. Excreted, is it? I'm not sure how that gets into your skin. It's okay. separate. It's separate from keratin. Yes, that's right. So, keratin comes from the food that we eat, basically. Okay. And so, when you have a look at keratin, it's going to come from uh, basically carrots. Makes sense. So yellow vegetables uh, or orange. Um, really, predominantly orange. Oranges, not oranges, but carrots are orange. Okay. Um, uh, sweet potato. 
uh, orange as well. And if you have too much of this, you can actually become a little bit orange as well. Because Why you are you looking at me? I'm just saying. <laughs> because it can start to get um, dropped off in your cells, in your skin cells, and give you that orangey color. And it's called keratinemia. Um Okay, and the other one is obviously coming from the underlying dermis, which is going to be completely red. Yes. And that, and that will give a... The it's due to the hemoglobin. Okay. So, so the three things, the three main things that give you color is melanin... Skin color. Skin color is melanin, carotene, and hemoglobin. Okay, and their combination will give you different hues. Yes. Now, if we just look at melanin, the melanocytes are the factories that produce melanin. Um, and these are found in the stratum basal layer, and the melanin starts to get projected out through what's called dendritic arms of the melanosomes, uh, of the melanocytes, and they basically start to hand this melanin off to the keratinocytes, and the melanin acts like an umbrella for the nucleus of the keratinocytes. And so, obviously, as the UV light starts to penetrate through the skin, through all those layers, it can go into the nucleus where the DNA is and start to damage the DNA yep. and that can promote cancer. Mm. So the more UV light you're exposed to, the more melanin will be produced not the more melanocytes you have but the more melanin you produce and then that ends up creating your tan. Now there's two different types of melanin. It's pheomelanin and eumelanin. Which I think is, I'm not sure how that sits with just general skin. I know that's important when in hair, mm. in it migrating to hair colour. I'm not sure how that. Well, sits as far as I'm aware, so you've got um, the uh, eumelanin, which is the blackish browny color, yep. and the pheomelanin, which is the uh, reddish blonde color. Um, so you obviously have more of the pheomelanin. I have more of the eumelanin. But though I would think that's more to go in to migrate into hair, which we can speak about. Well, I think later. if you'd cont- compare your freckles to my freckles. Yours will have a more orangey, yeah, blondy right. color, and mine would have more of a blacky, browny color. Okay. Right? And that's because of that melanin. Now, s- people with quite dark skin compared to people of lighter skin actually have the same number of melanocytes. It's just the amount of melanin they produce is different. So when you look at a freckle, a freckle is an abundance of melanin mm-hmm. that's been produced in one localized area, and a mole is actually a, a benign growth of melanocytes in an area. Right. So one's more melanin produced, the other's more melanocytes produced, both in localized areas. Okay, and just I'll just chuck a bit before we go on. We're going to go into the dermis now? Yes. Okay, so I'll just chuck a touch of embryology in here. Yeah. Just because of how it's formed. So at about the fifth week, your skin as an embryo has kind of two layers to it. It has ectoderm, which is just a one layer thick, and it overlays the the mesochymal cell, which uh, or mesochymal cells or tissue, which comes from the mesoderm. Okay, so that's about the fifth week. Now, a couple of weeks later, that ectodermal tissue, which comes from the surrounding embryo, it will differentiate into two layers: the basal layer, which is what we got now, yeah, and the periderm. Now, moving so on what's to the, what's the periderm? Oh, it's just the first. Uh, superficial layer above the basal layer that's f- that's first differentiated. Now well, and that becomes well, that will just stay as is, but that will get um, what's the term sloughed off. Yes, that will get sloughed off, and that will become a, uh, a an addition to your amniotic fluid. There's all these cells are just uh, so. Is this what potentially 
So now you can do like a NIP test, for example, when you do a genetic test for when you're pregnant. Um, and what you can do, so they used to do amniocentesis, mm. get a needle in, through, suck out some above cells of the placenta through the amniotic fluid. Um, but now they can just take mum's blood because there's some above cells in mum's blood floating around. Do you think these could potentially be some of those cells? Not sure. Right. I'm <laughs> glad I brought that up. <laughs> and then at about uh, four months, these basal cells have now produced an intermediate layer, which is going to essentially become all the um, spinosal group. Yeah. And then we move into about the, the birth state point. Um, this is where we get the melanocytes coming in. And they're interestingly coming in. So melanocytes in. don't come in until, what, 37 Much weeks? later, yeah. And they're coming in from the neural crest. And so... So what does that mean? So what's... Where's... Okay, at this point, 37-odd weeks, I assume you're gestational, you're talking about, yeah. right? Okay. So let's say late trimester three. Okay, late trimester three. Where are these neural crest cells? Oh, that's so... The neural crest cells, it's very kind of confusing but as the neural tube closes yeah um, to so make that's the central nervous system central nervous system but that's happening way earlier that's right yeah. but you get these group of cells that migrate off called the neural crest yeah. and they do a huge amount of things they go everywhere okay? so, so, so you've got some budding of these neural crest cells that come off um, the, the primordial central nervous system early on yeah. and they just sort of bud off and go to different parts of the body yeah so they so do you've got neural crest all, o- crest all over cells so they can do things body. like they form the facial skeleton they go and put, really yeah they put um, septations in your heart so they put the um, the septums in your heart they can make dorsal root ganglions they can wow. make schwann cells they can do all this stuff. I mean chances are they're already at the basal level but they haven't differentiated into sure. a melanocyte so now wow. towards birth and this is what you're talking about depending on your genetics would d- depend how these melanocytes are, their ac- activity levels so they become either much more active in darker skinned persons versus less active in lighter skinned persons. Yeah. But they, at birth, you would have melanocytes being active. And then, so when a baby's born, um, there's going to be skin differences. Wow. Okay. So I say, are you saying that uh, a child who's born with black skin, like quite... Darker skin, yeah. Yeah, quite darker skin. Are already producing melanin, yeah. But if we were to look at them 30 weeks in utero... What would be their skin colour? I don't know. I'm not sure. I know once uh, some babies who are born with some birth defects or um, maybe at certain premature dates, they mightn't have fully formed the epidermis, which is more like an under... It's reflecting what the dermis would be, which would be quite um, confronting. Yeah. And then obviously there's certain conditions... um, like vitiligo, yeah, vitiligo, yeah, vitiligo. and that is a problem with the way that the melanocytes are um, uh, more their morphology, but also their activity. And yeah. so this, where possibly some people would have white patches on darker skin, yes, and that would be a melanocyte potential um, issue. Issue, yeah. Okay, so that's really all I wanted to say with. Those cells and embryology? Embryology, yeah. All right, so if we move on to the dermis. All right, so the dermis is made up of two layers. The the most superficial layer is called the papillary layer, uh, or the papilla, and then the layer underneath that is called the reticular layer. Now, the dermis overall is a is a tough, um, quite... It's, it's much it's much thicker. So yeah, it's, it's about tough. Tw- 20 to 30 times thicker than the epidermis. 
tough, thicker, more fibrous, and it's actually what provides most of the mechanical properties of skin. So its ability to bounce back because of elasticity and also its ability to resist forces. Now, it's predominantly made up of... that's going to be collagen and elastin. Yeah, so it's predominantly made up of collagen, elastin, and also something called glycosaminoglycans, GAGs. Now, GAGs are... So, because it's connective tissue, as we know, connective tissue is made up of gels and fibers. So, the fibers for, for the papillary layer and the majority of the dermis is collagen and elastin. Collagen gives it the strength, elastin gives it the recoil, mm-hmm. and then the um, gel is going to be the glycosaminoglycans. Which is the ground substance, right? That's the ground substance. Um, now, um, with, with, okay, go on. I was going to say, so the other important structures at this point is blood vessels. So, yes. interestingly, you have no blood supply in your epidermis. Oh, so uh, good point. So, so what if, you were, if you were to cut, somehow finally cut your epidermis, you wouldn't bleed. Mm. You obviously get all your nutrients and oxygen and so forth from the dermal layer and then has to go through the basement membrane into the active cells. So this is why you look at the basal cells attached to the basement membrane on top of the dermis. The basal cells have no dedicated blood supply. The only nerve endings that are there are those of Merkel cells. Oh, they, I think they've got also bare nerve endings, so you'll still... I don't think they're in the basal still, layer. You'll st- they, I think they and they're in the dermis. I think they will project into it because you will... It's still a sensible... That's the correct term, I think. Um, layer, so you'll still feel pain. And there's no in, in the lymphatics epidermis. in the epidermis as well. But all of these are in the dermis. Yeah. At least. Yeah. And so, like you said, if they need oxygen or nutrients, it has to diffuse from the dermal layer upwards to the basal layer. And obviously, as you continue to move through to the granulosum, the spinosum, and so forth, it's more difficult to diffuse these substances through. And so, regardless, those cells are going to die anyway. Yeah, they're dead anyway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so if we look at first at the papillary layer. Now, the papil- papillary layer is made up of these undulations and foldings and it un- actually undulates with the basement membrane as it comes into contact with the epidermis. And it's this papillary layer and these undulations and foldings that give you your fingerprints. Hmm. So, any two people on the planet will not have... Let's, let me reword that. No two people on the planet will have the same fingerprint. Not even identical twins will have the same fingerprint. And remember last night when we were on ABC Radio, we had a listener call up because I, I asked the question, if you are an identical twin, can you open your identical twin's phone? You know, I- with iPhone. the Apple, Apple Touch yeah. on the, yeah, the iPhone. And they said, I'm an identical twin. I cannot open my twin's phone. So that's one indication that not even twins share the same fingerprint. Mm. Now, fingerprints have been used in forensics for... Ever. Well, no, but (laughs) the FBI has over 50 million fingerprints stored in their database, and Scotland Yard have been using it since the 1900s. And so many cases have been tried based on fingerprint evidence. Heaps. Okay. Now, with fingerprints... You ever been in in the pool or the bath for too long and your fingertips start to prune up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. do you know why that happens? Waterlogged. Not waterlogged. So that is the misconception is that people think that you're in the water for too long and so water gets pulled into your skin and ends up resulting in this pruning effect. But in actual fact, what they found is that people who have had nerve damage to their hand do not prune when they're in water. 
which is telling us that it's actually the nervous system, specifically the autonomic nervous system, that's causing this pruning. Would that be specifically the sympathetic or parasympathetic? Not sure. I think because it's constriction of the peripheral blood vessels, this is actually what's happening. It's going to be sympathetic nervous system. So when this autonomic nervous system constricts these peripheral blood vessels, it actually results in a morphology change of your skin and you get that pruning. Why do you think we would get that in the water? Why, what would be the purpose of pruning the fingertips? What, what, what do they look like when they're pruned? I can't remember. They just, don't they just swell up? No, they're just uh, more obvious foldings oh. within the skin. Um, grip? Grip. So it allows us to be able to grip objects far better within wet environments. And so that's what they found. They did a study. They determined that pruning of the fingertips allow you to grip wet objects far better. This may have had evolutionary advantages to grabbing foodstuffs within water. Um, or maybe, you know, like just in rainforest environments where there's a lot of rain or something. They yeah. still have to swing from trees or something. Yeah. They don't want to fall out of a tree. That's for sure. That's good. Oh, that's why would you want to fall out of a tree? <laughs> Um, the papillary layer, like you also said, um, blood vessels, nerve endings, and so forth, and has fine collagen fibers. When you move down to the reticular, it has large collagen fibers, and this is predominantly here for strength, and the reticular also is going to have blood vessels, nerve fibers, and lymphatics. Okay. Now, this is also where we start moving into the accessory structures, right? Such as hair and hair follicles. Yeah, but it's also, it's important to note that all your accessory parts of your skin comes from the epidermis. So they're made with the epidermis cells, but they will be... Pu- well, at least hair. Really? Yeah. So hair begins at the epidermis, but then pushes the follicle down into the dermis yeah. wh- where it sort of gets embedded. Yeah. Really? There's not a great deal of structure that is from the dermal kind of... Um, a byproduct from the dermal layer. It's mostly coming from the epidermis. And is it mostly coming from the keratinocytes within the basal layer? Uh, good question. Well, it's just We can go to that in a bit, um, but it's just like an epithelial layer around the hair, base of the hair follicle. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, since we're talking about it now, essentially the, um, the skin or the integumentary, um, if you're going to, let's just, let's just, put together the epidermis and dermis, when we compare ourselves to other animals, this is the most diverse structure that gives the, or the most diverse different outcome. So you're saying that uh, in terms of different animals. a thousand different animals, the organ or organ system that would vary the most would be that of the skin. Right. And so if you look at, say, the epidermis and dermis as we move through vertebrates, so you've got fish into amphibians into reptiles into birds into mammals um, let's say the skin it can now you're not saying that's the order in which they no, no just just the example of sure. categories of vertebrates um, the way that the, the skin or the epidermis and dermis manifests can be from scales mm-hmm. um, both in say fish and reptiles into birds which will also have scales in their feet mm-hmm. up into feathers in yeah. their body and then going into um, mammals which have hair and fur. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, w- most people think because the um, because the epidermis creates these different things. So we could have hair, feathers, claws, nails, hooves, horns, antlers, teeth, even. So and they're beaks. all skin. Based on, yeah, that's right from the integument. 
<laughs> I don't know why I have so much trouble with his word. I don't know why you say... Integumentary. Yeah. Okay. So, but now, so they, they thought the epidermis, because essentially all these structures that I've just mentioned mm-hmm. come predominantly from the epidermis, right? Yeah. They thought that the epidermis is the most important for their production. Okay. Okay. However, when they removed... So they did, say, um, some studies on chick embryology so they got chicks in the sh- in the egg so baby chickens right and they f- they thought well, well we'll grab some epidermal cells from the legs because the legs produce scales okay we'll pull the epidermal cells off put it onto a dish without the dermal cells sure and these cells just died right for some reason though if they were exposed to air mm-hmm. they would um survive and they would kind right. of produce some phenotypical behaviour to where they Do you reckon that's because it's then an indication of um, apical versus basal positioning? It it now knows, okay, this is the outside environment that I'm usually exposed to. This is now where the basement membrane slash um, dermis should be. And then it releases chemicals accordingly? Hard to know. Because you would think in the embryo, Mm. it's all just swimming in water at this point, right? Well, good point. Amniotic fluid, not air yet. Maybe one side is more oxygen exposed than another. Could be. Anyway, go on. Um, so, okay, so you've taken the, you've taken the epidermal layer of the leg of a chick, which is predominantly the scales, yep. and it doesn't really grow without the dermis. That's right. All right. And so then when they put the dermis in with it, mm-hmm. they will then produce the cell from where they're from. Okay. Okay, so they're now producing the s- scales. Sure. But they wanted to see, would anything happen if you got the epidermis from the chick leg? And got the dermis from somewhere else in the cheek. So they got it from, let's say, the body of the cheek. Now, the body is where feathers are for That's the right. epidermis. So they put the dermis from the feathers yeah. into the epidermis of the scales. Yeah. And then they let that grow. What happened? And it didn't It didn't form scales. It pref- started to form feathers. So does that mean that the dermis was telling the epidermis how to develop? Right, exactly. Right. And so now it seems much more complicated than just you've got these functional cells in the epidermis mm. and they'll dictate what they form. Gotcha. It's actually come from the dermis. So they have this really symbiotic relationship. So there may be a separate, there may be separate layers connected by a basement membrane, but they are interdependent upon one another. Yeah. Okay. And, but then to complicate matters further, if they then did cross species, mm. so they got the epidermis from the chicken leg and got it from the dermis from a mouse, let's say the body of the mouse, um, they would be compatible, right. but it would the product the, the product that it would produce would be the um, the epidermal driven phenotype. So it would produce scales if the epidermis came from the from the scales of the leg, or if it moved to the the feathers region of the epidermis, then regardless of where the dermis came in another species, it would produce whatever the epidermis was supposed to produce. Yeah, it's interesting because when people receive skin grafts without the dermis, while it may result in closed skin, uh, it ends up being quite unstable skin as well. So more susceptible to, to damage and infection and so forth. So they seem to like to do perform allografts or skin grafts uh, with the dermis intact. Okay. Well, and, you know, and so if you think about... Um, Degrees of burns, first degree, second degree, third degree burns. First degree burn is when you go through those four to five layers of the epidermis. Second degree burn is when you go to the papillary layer. And the third degree burn is when you go through the papillary layer 
through the reticular layer, which means you go through the entire dermal layer. And then you can actually have fourth degree burns where you go through the epidermal layer, the dermal layer, and into the subcutaneous layer, and you actually go through the fat into the bone. And Ooh. so you can have first, second, third, and fourth degree burns. That's very nasty. Not nice at all. And then they, with burns, they divide it into the rule of nines, I think they call it. Oh, okay. And so your burns into your upper limb is called nine, 1-9%. Each leg is 9%. Um, is this surface area? Yeah, surface area. Gotcha. So your uh, chest would be 9, abdomen 9, so that collectively that's 18, and then the back is similar. Back thorax, 9. Back lumbar, 9. And so this will give you a percentage of 18. So wow. 18 for chest and abdomen. So that's how they calculate percentage of... I think it's called the rule of nines, and that would look probably the amount of surface area of skin burnt versus the degree depth which you just spoke about gotcha wow let's talk about hair all right so you said it's produced in the epidermis but it starts to push its way down into the dermis where the follicle sits but let's just talk about the basic anatomy so so first of all it's thought that it evolved out of reptiles so they kind of grew out of scales Mm. and the primary function of it because every hair uh what would you call filament shaft shaft is the is the main portion yeah it has its own nerve. Okay. So Every hair has its own nerve. Right. So this is a sensory or motor? Sensory. Okay. Yeah. So it will um, pick up kind of what the hair is doing in space. So if it's right. been, uh, the wind's blowing on it, it will give you an indication that um, wind is blowing over your body. Or if you're moving, mm. it will get an indication that you're moving. Tell your body, okay, we're running. So hair plays an important role in proprioception. Yes, that's right. So if, so me with my entire waxed body, that's why I, keep running I close my eyes, I don't know where I am in my own space. That's why you walk into doors. Knew it. Um, so it's thought that it came first out of reptiles. So between the little scales, it, these things popped out, but was important for sensory perception. Yeah. Um, and then you can see some animals took that a bit further. And so, say, whiskers on the face is mm. very important for some animals, like mm. cats and um, moles yeah. and all sorts of other animals, that rats, rodents, uh, yeah. they dictate a lot of their sensory function from their, their whiskers. Wow. Okay. Do they feel pain when you cut them? I wouldn't imagine so, but I don't think they can, they lose a, a certain ability to do, you know, orientation and certain things mm. like that. And even, say, with moles... So, is the nerve ending, it's simp- is the nerve ending so, uh, um, just fixed down at the follicle or does it move through the shaft? No, my understanding is it's just wrapped around the, the bulb of it. So, when the hair moves, it transmits that mechanical movement yeah. through the shaft down to the, bu- to the bulb yeah. where it then stimulates through t- transduction yeah. the sensory nerve. Yeah. And then so, your there shouldn't brain be any pain upon cutting that. No. And then, w- then you would make sense... Your brain would make sense of what that stimulus means. Mm. If yeah. it moves one way or another, yep. to what degree? What, exactly. Okay. Um, then other animals like moles that live predominantly underground, yeah. they have that gives them indication of how they're moving because sometimes they're blind. Yeah. So that, the blind... And ugly. What's it called? The blind mole? Mole rat. Yeah. Isn't it the naked mole rat? The or naked mole rat. Yeah. So it still has hair on it. Sure. And, and that gives indication because it's potentially blind too, right? So the naked mole rat's simply just got no clothes then. It's got hair, but it's just yeah. not wearing any pants. But it's, un- it's, it's, like un- it's underground, so it should, the temperature should be fairly stable. It's like porky N- pig. Now, in terms of how that hair then evolved, mm. um, 
I guess the mammals took it further and actually thought... We always do. We always take it too far. We thought, well, you know, this is a good thing for sensory uh, proprioception, but we'll actually maybe utilize it even more for thermoregulation. So some animals would... Some mammals, uh, you know, one definition of mammals, not only the the breast, but Mm. also they have hair. And that could be either fur or hair. And so all mammals will either have one or the the other, but generally speaking... So hair and nipples... Yeah, that's right. Not necessarily both those two things. Well, no, all mammals will have those two things. Sure. So, boobs, breasts, and some degree of hair. Okay. I mean, like, when you go into the marine mammals, they kind of lose the hair. um, Yeah, like a whale. Yeah, whales, I think they've lost it all. I think some things like seals or otters, they kind of have a degree of furry. Yeah, maybe they've got some, like, very coarse hair that, you know... Covers certain portions of the body. I'm I sure think they do. I think otters they have the best fur cover out of the lot. And <laughs> what do you mean? As in, this is just your opinion for thermoregulation. No, I'm pretty oh, sure gotcha. their their covering is the best in retaining heat. So when you when you look at so talking about this, we haven't spoken necessarily about the anatomy of the hair yet, but uh, each hair has s- some muscles attached to the base of it which can actually change the yeah, movement and, of that and hair and every hair has a oil gland as well so every hair has an oil gland and some muscles and a nerve and a nerve and so these muscles can actually shift the movement of the hair so when, when it's cold and you get goosebumps and your hair stands on end these muscles called pillar muscles pull on the hair shaft and straighten it up yeah. and what that actually does is it actually promotes convection of the air at the surface of your skin and keeps the heat closer to your skin. So goosebumps is a way of your body trying to maintain heat when you're cold. But you also get it when you're scared, just like cats and dogs do, as an evolutionary throwback, hmm. because they do it to try and look bigger, more fierce, scarier. We do the same thing. It's just not very successful for some of us. Well, we've lost... Uh, so about a million, million years ago, we lost our fur, basically. Well, how can we never found it? Uh, I'm not sure. Just took the fur coat off and never put it back on. Wow. We just put another animal's fur coat on. So, yeah. So, we lost our fur. Presumably, it's thought that we did it for better ability to migrate. Mm. So, you, we had the ability to move longer distances with with less hair covering. Mm. And at the same time, about a million years ago, we also became better at um, producing the melanin, I guess. So, the darker skin started to come come into play and that would then explain why darker skinned persons would be located more around the equator mm. and lighter skin would be more at the poles ends. And what we also found was that about 70 to 100,000 years ago was when our head lice started to diverge evolutionarily from clothing lice, which is an indication that we started to wear clothes at around about 70 to 100,000 years ago. And so putting clothes on is going to coincide with less hair as well and also going to promote our movement out of Africa into areas where it may have a colder climate. Mm. So we started to move away into colder climate, move towards colder climates around 70 to 100,000 years ago. And that was told to us by head lice. Now pubic lice, well that's demonstrated to us... Different story. Well we, we got our pubic lice from gorillas around about 3 million years ago, which told us that we were in close contact with gorilla ancestors about 3 million years ago, which we didn't actually think was necessarily the case. But this has been some evidence recently. Great. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) So, 
Anatomy of the hair very quickly. What do people need to know? I don't think we need to go through yeah. all parts of the hair because, honestly, so who cares? A, but <laughs> All right, so the, th- the th- kind of three main parts of broadly of the hair mm-hmm. is the bulb, I guess you could call it, the, the hair bulb, which is the part that projects the most deepest into the dermis. Yeah. And this is kind of the base of the, ha- of the hair uh, follicle, let's say. Okay. Then you have the next part up, which is the root, which is... moving from the bulb all the way to the top layer of the skin. So this is all... So the root is everything hidden. Yep. And then the shaft is from the outer layer of the skin to what you can see. Gotcha. So what's the follicle then? Well, the follicle is the internal part and that's going to be both the connective tissue, which is the kind of sheath that wraps around the hair. Gotcha. It's kind of a protective layer versus the inner epithelial cells which would be probably a homologue to the epidermis. So, so that's an that's invagination of the epidermis. So of all this, of the shaft, of the bulb, of the follicle, what is it that okay. creates a hair? All right, so it would be the epidermis. The epidermis is kind of the invagination of the epidermis. So the mm-hmm. epithelial cells epidermis kind of invaginate down into the dermis. And they and go all the way down through the bulb. Yeah, it wraps around the bulb. Gotcha. Okay, and the bulb is kind of further surrounded around. So if I were to get uh, some Play-Doh and push my finger into it, the fact that the surface of that Play-Doh invaginates all the way down and then comes back up again, yeah. that's like what happens in a hair follicle all the way down to the bulb. Okay. Uh, I'm asking. Uh, Maybe. Um, I, I, it's hard to explain. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how I can really illustrate it sure. in words. Yeah. But it's kind of... need to be more articulate, that's all. <laughs> It's so you've got this kind of structure that's kind of sitting down in the dermis. Yeah. From the outside part of point of view, we just call it the hair bulb. Yeah. But if you go into it, the first layer in is the connected tissue. Mm-hmm. The next layer in is the epithelial cells from the epidermis. Yeah. And they're going to be moving all the way from the epidermis down into the dermis surrounding yep. it. And, and that would be the hair. that those two together is essentially the hair follicle. Okay. Now the production of the epidermis or the epithelial cells is keratin, keratin, which is the same thing as what we do in the skin, but this localizes it into the, the essentially the the matrix and the medulla of the, the hair, the, ha- the hair itself. Okay. And this will start to be pushed up all the way up to the top of the skin, and this is your hair shaft. So the hair is continuous with the skin. Yeah. So the the, the hair itself is dead. Yes. Okay, so it's a homologue to the cornea layer okay. and, and the, what was the other, lucidum. Yeah. Okay, so it's basically that, mm-hmm. but it's, instead of just flaked off as exfoliated into the chair that you've done, yeah. it concentrates it into a narrow bit of tissue, which yep. is hair. Gotcha. And as this hair is being pushed up it gets pushed out of the skin and that's the shaft that you see. So where, how's the colour of the hair get there? Okay, so if now if you go back down to the bulb mm. and right at the base of the bulb is the hair papillae and that is going to be from the dermis. So this is the dermal part. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's going to bring blood vessels in which will give nutrients to the cells that are producing the keratin which is the hair in this case. But it's also going to have a pool of melanocytes okay. which sit at the base of these epithelial cells. Right. And just like the melanin that was produced to to jump into the skin to mm. give colour in, yeah. it does the same thing. It jumps into the producing keratin of the hair. Gotcha. And so it 
colours the hair. So and when so you get old and grey, it's just these melanocyte factories that produce melanin. Um, they just they basically become old and don't produce the melanin, right? Yeah. It so your so this these cells that produce the that your hair, right? That you can see, right? There's kind of two main phases of hair. There's the growth phase, yeah. which is the we call that the anagen phase, and that produces about um, a centimeter per month of okay. keratin. Yeah. Okay. Now that could be turned on. So our hair grows a centimeter a month. Yeah. Hmm. That could be turned on um, between, let's say, three to seven years. Mm-hmm. So these little cells produce hair or keratin up, for up, up to seven years. And then it will turn off, rest for up to three months, then die. Wow. And so that means the hair will fall out now. Wow. So about if you look at the top of your head, probably 80% of your hair follicles are in the antigen phase. So growth the phase. growth phase. Yeah. Okay. Now, what is thought that happens is the melanocytes, which are at the base with the epithelial cells that produce the keratin, mm. they are producing their melanin into the hair follicle, which then goes up in the keratin. Right. Now, there's two pools. What did we say those two types were again? Uh, eumelanin, fair right. melanin. And so the eumelanin, if you have more eumelanin melanocytes, your hair is more likely to be brown, black. black. Yeah. Okay. But if you got more fair melanin. Yeah. Your hair is more likely to be blonde, blonde, red. But it could be a combination of this. So you're fair melanin, I'm eumelanin. Right. And depending on where your body is, the hair can be a different morphology. So you could see the way your hair is orientated on your scalp. Mm. The most coarse hair is probably your eyelashes. Yeah. So they're really tough hair. Well, pubic hair. And then you've got, yeah, pubic hair, which is a different phase, which we call terminal hair. Yes. So you're born... When you when you get born as a baby, mm. you have lanugo hair, which is very fine, unpigmented. Yeah. And then you, basically, that's going to be taken off when you're born. Mm. Then you go into a vellus, which is when you look at a person now, the, the majority very fine of, hair, yeah. right? You see in the sunlight. Yeah. The majority of a person's body hair is the vellus hair. Yeah. Okay. But male or female. Male right? or female. Um, now, when you go into puberty, the vellus. Will I'm still waiting. The, Okay. The vellus will be differentiated into terminal hair. Gotcha. And so that your scalp, okay, as well as your face pubic pubic region. Underarms, yeah. That yep. will differentiate into that more tougher yeah. coarser. And then for some reason there's certain body parts that even if you've got more browny black hair, mm. there's some parts like say pubic and fa- yeah. facial which may for some reason have more female in which is why people with brown hair might have red tinged beard. I think that's a bit of a genetic influence. I mean, hair colouring and hair loss has such a strong genetic component to it. And not just one, but multiple. So for example, we always think that oh, hair loss, male pattern baldness for example, comes from the mother's side. But what they've actually found is that there's about 200 individual places in your genome that's dedicated to male pattern baldness and 50 of these 200 so about a quarter are found on the X chromosome and all males get their X chromosome from their mum so this is probably where that myth has come from that males get their male pattern baldness from their mother but it only explains 25% of the overall influence right does it make sense yeah so you can't just say okay my mum's father was went bald I'm going to go bald that's not the case okay um, anything else about hair? Um, 
No, I think that's about all. What about nails? Okay, nails is... Assen- I won't go into too much depth here. Nails is essentially the same principle, but instead of producing a hair, it produces a keratin sheath over your top of your fingertips. Yes. And so most animals... So in terms, again, vertebrates, what the nail equivalent would be would be a claw. Yeah. So a lot of animals like um, birds... Um, would maybe some carnivores in um, like cats, cats and dogs they have claws which yep. is kind of like a nail but the lateral margins curl up mm. and they come into a kind of a, a centralized region and that's claw based now uh, primates I think are the only animal primates humans are the only ones that have nails of such yeah. and it's thought that it's to kind of complement our dexterity in our fingertips gotcha. and it allows better dexterity of grip and handling mm-hmm. because you essentially with your hand you want to put the pulpy part of your fingertip yeah um, together onto a onto a place yeah. to hold because that's giving you this the grip and so as you do that if you look at your pulpy part of your fingers as you depress them you kind of have a change in coloration right well, that that too, but you also have the ten the tension through your fingertips changes, oh, of course, and yeah. the the nail kind of holds it tense. Yeah, I suppose without that nail picking anything up with your fingertips, without obviously the only thing that sort of holds it in place is the bone, you know. Mm. So your fingertip would be quite malleable, too malleable yeah, to be able to, be able to grip. That's right. Be able to hold pencils right. or pens or anything. Like and that. so that's claws, kind of. Or we lost the claws and we got the nails. Now you always think about the nail being, you know, a, a hard bed and this impenetrable barrier. But in actual fact, your nail is more permeable than your skin. And so anything smaller than about six hundred and sixty-six, um, six six six, six six six, a molecular weight of six six six, anything smaller than that is actually quite readily absorbable into the nail. This has been shown, so certain um, pesticides have been shown to be absorbed through the nails, but not through the skin, um, <coughs> such as paraquat, for example. What's that? Um, it's a pesticide that's used. Yeah. Um, and other toxins have been shown to be absorbed. So does that mean well. that you, you should be, be careful what you put on your nails? So maybe even some dodgy nail polish could, Correct. could be bad. Yep. Um, so it's the same kind of principle. You have the the matrix cells, so the epithelial cells that are making the actual keratin, mm. is at the nail bed. Yeah. So the base, which is where the the nail matrix or the nail root is, and it just pushes out keratin sheaths. So instead of making the hair, it's making a, a sheath of nail. Yeah. And that's just elongating down the on top of the nail bed, which yeah. is that kind of um, the color underneath underneath. Gotcha. And so that's really. The, in terms of nails, I mean the other the other vertebrate, it makes hooves. So certain animals will have hooves. That's their nail equivalent, like horses or sheep or goats or cows. Makes Bees. sense. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gone through a fair bit. Uh, anything else final? Well, no. I think we've gone through the integumentary and its function. We spoke about the layers, including the accessory layers, dermis epidermis, hair, and nails. We spoke about the five epidermal layers, corneum, lucidum, granulosum, spinosum, and basal. We spoke about the cells in the epidermis being melanocytes, keratinocytes, Langerhans, and Merkel. We spoke about um, the dermis itself, the papillary layer, and its role with fingerprints, and the reticular layer. We spoke about hair, its function, its evolution, anatomy, and the same with the nails. So I think we've pretty much covered all bases at least for the basic A&P. Like you said, we're going to get some experts in to talk dermatology. 
like you said, there's about a thousand different. Was a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, three thousand different skin diseases and disorders, or more, or more. So we might get a uh, derm, um, dermatologist. Dermatologist is the is the word in to uh, have a chat with us. Yep. Now, apart from that, everyone, if uh, can you please go on iTunes, give us five stars. Uh, <laughs> please send us an email if you like. Tell us if you enjoy the podcast. If you don't, well, just don't send us an email. Uh, we're happy to give you a shout-out if he wants to do a particular topic. Mike has promised that he will give a shout individually to anyone who writes in and gives a compliment only. Or is it any oh, look, kind if of you want to call up and... Uh, call, anyone email. that wants to call up and, email, email. and tell tell us how much better Mike is than Matt... Uh, I'm, <laughs> we'll I'm, get a special prize. We'll definitely get a shout-out, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, GUBiosciences at gmail.com. I think you can put a .au on the end of that if you like, but I don't think it makes a difference. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. We have a YouTube channel with over 250 videos explaining succinctly certain anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, pharmacology, and now embryology Do you have Twitter videos. as well? Pun? Twitter? And we have our own individual Twitter account. Is there Dr. Mike and Dr. Mike's Twitter, though? There is. You can go to at GU Biosciences. That's the Twitter account for Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. But we have our own individual one. You can look up at Dr. Bartox. That's at D-R-B-A-R-T-O-X. Mm-hmm. Or you can look me up, or I should say, and you can look me up, which is at Mickey Todd. At M-I-C-K. It's good that you remember it this, this week. I always forget. At M-I-C-K-E-Y-T-O-D. Thanks um, for listening. One last thing, and I know I've said it before, but uh, we are trying to get more clinicians on board. So if you have clinical topics yeah. that you would like specifically covered, um, we can chat to our expert clinicians yeah. and we can do those for you as well. So if you are a nurse or a nursing student, if you are a medico or medical student, if you're a paramedical student, if you're a physio student, if you're an OT student or if you're just generally interested in health and health education, feel free to let us know, is there some topic that you want us to cover that we haven't covered? Or if there's a topic that we have covered and maybe you want a bit more detail or want an expert in to help talk about the uh, the more clinical aspects, let us know. Apart from that, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.